Yeah, we are going to be so taking a break from our One Peter series, and as mentioned, we will be looking at the triumphal entry as part of our Easter season. And this is the um, the time when Jesus is entering Jerusalem on the way towards the cross. So um, I'm going to be reading today from John's Gospel, um, chapter 12, verse starting at verse 12. Um, if you've got a Bible, feel free to turn to it, or you can follow along on the screen behind you. So John 12. Verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is risen. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. I wonder if you can picture the scene. Jerusalem is bustling on a normal day, but this is festival season. The Passover festival has started and people have thronged from all over to be there, to celebrate with family, with friends. There's a real buzz. There's also uh, lots of rumours flying around. Word is spreading about this remarkable teacher, this kind of godly man called Jesus, who has been stunning crowds all around the local area with his, his, his words and his teaching that sound like it's straight from heaven. He's been healing people, making the lame walk. He's been opening the eyes of the blind. He's been feeding crowds on mountainsides with just a few loaves and fish. And most recently, the one that's really got the crowds talking, he's just come from a funeral where he has risen the dead man. He is causing quite a stir. And so as you can imagine, there are crowds, as soon as they hear he's on the road, he's on the way, are kind of rushing out of Jerusalem and lining the roads and wanting to get a glimpse of him. You could say it's a kind of celebrity culture, maybe. Or maybe it's just that kind of religious fervour that's been whipped up by the uh, Passover festival. Well, as they gather alongside the roads, we can see that um, people are grabbing hold of palm trees and branches and starting to wave them in the air. They're taking off their coats and laying them on the floor as Jesus, surrounded by his disciples and surrounded by the excited crowd that have come with him from that funeral, perhaps, make their way along the road. See, it's, it's more than just a celebrity welcome. This is a welcome for a king, in fact. You can hear it in what they're shouting. Uh, Hosanna, save, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. See, what is, what is going on here? They're welcoming him as a king. Well, in some ways, we um, might not be that surprised about that if we think about the, 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 the people of Israel, the Jews, The people in this crowd will have had their parents and their grandparents and generation upon generation passing down to them the things that were in their holy book, in their scripture. They would have talked of the good old days, the glory days of Israel, when they had King David on a throne, where all their enemies were subdued around them. They lived in safety. They had their own house, their own vineyard, their own crops. They could eat. They could enjoy their lives. Nothing to fear. 
And then as that kind of crumbled away over their history, um, God has spoken time and time again, saying there would be another king. Another king would come, a descendant of David, a better king, to restore the kingdom. This isn't just a, a religious fervor. This is a deep, deep longing in these people's hearts, a longing that they've carried for generations and generations. Where is the king? Where is the king? Where is that king? But also, alongside that deep-rooted longing is a very acute and current pain. You see, they were under oppression and occupation. Every person in the crowd perhaps would have had a story about how the Roman occupiers were oppressing their lives. Maybe it was through the taxes that were meaning their family had very little to live on. Maybe it was through the shame of seeing the soldiers at the gates of a city that was once free, was once theirs. Maybe it was the having to obey the orders of the Roman soldiers, carry my pack, do this job for me. They were an oppressed people, and they wanted freedom. And so when rumours of this Jesus start to circle, they think, this is him. This could be the coming king. See, they were expecting a king to come and defeat the Romans, to come and establish that kingdom here and now, and send their oppressors packing. And as we see that Jesus making his way up towards Jerusalem, we see Jesus letting them welcome him as a king. Now, this is unusual because if we read back through the Gospels, Jesus is quite familiar with trying to avoid this kind of attention. He's very good, remarkably good, it would seem, at slipping out of the crowd just at that moment where the excitement was going to bubble over and they were going to take hold of him and make him king. He would always sneakily slip away. He'd been to Jerusalem before, but always quite quietly. This is very different. He's making quite an entrance. Now you might say, well, surely if he's coming as a king, he would have got some better transportation. He would be coming on some kind of war horse. He would have gathered an army. At the very least, if he wanted to come on a donkey, he would have arranged his disciples in two by twos and got them running ahead of him in the kind of Old Testament style. But no, Jesus is very deliberately coming as a king. And in fact, his choice of transportation, this donkey's cult that he has chosen to ride, is very much a statement of his intention to come as this promised king. You see, one of those prophets, one of those people of God, has spoken about this in the past. We read it in Zechariah. <coughs> Zechariah spoke many, many years before Jesus came, saying, Rejoice greatly. O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. Jesus is very clearly coming as that promised king. Can you picture it? Happy scene. A willing, good king. And a crowd longing pained, but looking for that good king. What could possibly go wrong? Except the sad thing is, is that we know in just a matter of days, 
things are going to turn sour. As the crowd realised that Jesus' first priority is not to unseat the Roman Empire. And their expectations are frustrated. The very people in this crowd are either going to disperse, move away from him, pretend they've never really been interested in him, or at worst be calling out amongst that crowd, crucify him, crucify him. The amazing thing is, though, that that Jesus knows this. We know from past stories that he is matchless at looking into the hearts of the people he is with. He sees into the hearts of people and he knows exactly what their motivations are. He knows exactly what they are thinking, exactly what they are going to do. He's not kind of buoyed on by their cheering and their enthusiasm. He knows exactly what's in their hearts. He knows they come to him with mixed motives. He knows the expectations they have of him will be frustrated. He knows they'll turn. And yet, he doesn't do what he is often willing to do. He's often willing to call out hypocrisy, to warn when our hearts are going astray, but he doesn't come with a harsh word to this crowd, accuse them of being fickle because in a few days they're going to turn from him. No, he comes humble and mounted on a donkey, and he rides into their midst. He comes amongst them. He comes to them. He walks with them. He is happy to be received by them, celebrated by them. I don't know about you, but I find that really reassuring because how often do we come to Jesus? How often do we even come on a Sunday morning like this with such mixed motives? I know in an ideal world, we would turn up on a Sunday morning ready to worship with only the glory of God in mind. But especially on a morning when your alarm clock's gone off an hour earlier than it feels like it should have done. (laughs) Especially after a week where maybe things have been difficult at work, maybe difficult at home. We come with our motives mixed. We come with our, our needs and our wants. We come to Jesus because we love him. And we want to meet with him but we also want him to meet our needs. We want him to to meet us where we are. And the wonderful news is he doesn't despise that. He doesn't say, come back next week when you've sorted out all those things that are whizzing around your mind. He welcomes us. He welcomes us even as we sing and try and push those other thoughts to one side. Even as we we wave our hands and and rejoice over him, he, he comes amongst us. He sees our pain. He sees our deep-seated longings, perhaps we've been carrying for years. He sees the pain of our current situations that we're going through. And he loves us. And he comes to us. And he's here amongst us right now. By his spirit. Even... Now, before we move on, you can be whispering to him in your heart. Naming those things that are unsettling you. Naming those things that are just so hard to push to one side. Because he cares. He cares more than we can even fathom. He knows our needs. 
and he comes to us. It was all going so well. Jesus riding on the donkeys, the crowds full of jubilation, full of joy. But why did it have to change from that? Why couldn't it have kept going in that vein? Why couldn't Jesus come and be that king that they wanted, be the one that they were going to celebrate as he kicked out the Romans? Why couldn't he gather an army? Well, maybe we imagine that he had. Maybe we imagine that they'd got the king that the crowd really, really wanted. We might have seen um, him gather that army, kick out the Romans, establish the kingdom again, Everyone would have had their own place to live. Everyone would have had the, no more taxes to the Romans. Uh, they would have been eating, drinking, enjoying their lives. Wouldn't that have been great? Wouldn't that have met their, their need? Wouldn't that have fulfilled their generation after generation longing, surely? Well, sadly, even if every Roman empire, every empire that would rise was crushed, even if every enemy was defeated, there would still be war, because there would still be war in our hearts. There'd still be strife, because there's still strife in our hearts. There'd still be anger and jealousy and relational breakdown. Maybe the borders might have been secure, but within the borders of every home, there would have been pain and hurt. See, the crowd were longing for something they thought would satisfy them, but it, it wouldn't have gone close. See, they were longing for Jesus to, to cut the cable ties of the Roman oppressor off their hands, whereas Jesus came to cut the cable ties that bound their hearts. They longed for someone who would unseat the oppressor of the Roman Empire, but Jesus came to unseat the oppressor of death itself. They longed for someone to come and get rid of their current acute pain. But Jesus came to wipe away all tears and all pain for good. See, it wasn't, the problem wasn't that they wanted too much. They were willing to be satisfied with too little. They were good desires. But they couldn't be met through a physical king they couldn't be met through a few armies. They could only be met by one who could meet our deepest need. See, all the oppression and all the pain and all the hurt that they experienced through the Roman Empire and that we see around us in the world today comes from one place. It originates with one root. Our broken relationship with God, our sin, the Bible calls it. That when we choose to rebel against him, when we choose to disobey him, when we choose to go our own way, that broke our relationship with our heavenly father. See, we were made to have that perfect communion with him. We were made to be with him, to know him, to enjoy his presence. And yet when we turned away from him, we chose, instead of being with the life giver, to choose death. And everything has flown from that. Every hurt, every pain, every war, every ounce of oppression flows from that greatest problem. 
And so when Jesus came riding in as their king, he was coming to meet their need. But he was coming to meet their greatest need. And he did that the only way it could be done on the cross. He did that by taking our place. He did that by choosing the death that we had chosen so that we didn't have to die that death ourselves, so that we didn't have to pay the penalty that we deserved. He chose to do it for us. The crowd didn't understand that then. They thought they wanted a king to get rid of the Romans. They needed a king who would release their hearts who would unshackle them from the slavery to their own sins so they could choose freedom again. See, we often come to him with our need, our hurt and our pain. And we don't always get what we expect. God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we expect. But what he does is he comes and he meets our greatest need. And from that, wonderfully, all other freedom can flow. Our other needs are dealt with in that as well, not always as we expect. See, if you, look at, if you go forward to um, these disciples, these frightened disciples who all ran away at the cross, terrified of the Romans, terrified of the oppression that they had in their lives. But fast forward a bit, once Jesus has been risen from dead, once he has poured out his spirit, his presence so that the disciples who believed in him could enjoy life with him. Suddenly, things are very, very different for the disciples. Yeah, the Roman Empire might have still been there for a little while longer, but the fear of it, it was broken, because the fear in their hearts was broken. Suddenly, wherever the Romans sent them, wherever they were scattered, wherever they were chased and persecuted, they went boldly speaking about Jesus. They were no longer afraid. They went into prisons. They went into gladiator rings, singing praises to him. And do you know what? Sometimes Jesus decided to break those jail doors open, release them. Who's in charge? The Romans or, or God? Absolutely. Because he had unshackled the fear from their hearts and freed them. Freed them to live for him. And from that, they found a new freedom, a freedom that overcame the the Roman Empire and a freedom that can overcome the things that we face in our lives too. See, for you and I, it might be that we long for that relationship in our lives that will make everything seem okay. But unless we've experienced the repaired relationship with our Heavenly Father then nothing will truly satisfy. Unless we've enjoyed the intimacy that comes with knowing the one we were made for, nothing can truly satisfy. It gives us great confidence if we are suffering with our health. Maybe we need healing. Maybe you're here this morning and you are in pain and you need need a touch from God. What confidence we can have if we come to the one who's defeated death we can come to him and know that he is the death defeater. And yes, he does heal. We're reminded in Romans that how would he who 
hasn't spared his own son, how will he not also give us all things? All that we need in life flows from Jesus meeting our greatest need at the cross. And we can confidently come to him, confidently come and ask for all else. But you might be understandably thinking, okay, if Jesus has met my greatest need at the cross and I can ask him for all else in my life, and if I can come to him even when my motives are mixed and I'm not doing so well or not understanding things quite rightly, why is there still such pain and hurt in this world? Why is it still such a mess? Why am I still such a mess? That would be a fair question. And unusually, the answer comes down to our mode of transportation once more. Now, just think about the, the donkey. Just picture a donkey in your mind. It's quite comical, isn't it? It's almost like God creating the donkey took the horse and decided to make it more funny. <laughs> or, or should we say less threatening? I mean, no one, no one sees a donkey coming over the hill and thinks, oh no, it's the donkey, better, better scarper. It's kind of probably the, the modern equivalent would be um, around where, where I live and where, where I work. And um, the kids in my class get very excited by those big, beefed up, blacked out window kind of Hummer limos. You know what I mean? They're kind of chunky, big. They look kind of quite beefy and quite, quite tough. Be the difference between seeing one of those coming over the hill and thinking, oh, I better, better scarper. Not sure who's driving that, but I don't want to stick around to, to get into trouble with whoever it is versus someone coming along in the old-style mini. It, not so intimidating. Same with the donkey. It's, it seems funny, but Jesus chose to come on a donkey for a reason. See, it says later in Zechariah that Jesus came, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And he shall speak peace to the nations. So Jesus chose the transportation of one who is coming in peace, not war. We would expect the war horse. And if we're honest, we deserve the war horse. That first moment where we choose to reject our good father, our good God, we deserve the warhorse to come and rid his beautiful creation of all sin, of all pain, of all oppression, that if we're honest, we know dwells in our hearts. That's what we deserved. We deserve the judgment of a warhorse. And yet he comes first, humble and mounted on a donkey. He comes in peace. He comes to us with such love and such compassion. He comes first to save. See, just after he entered on that donkey, he was talking to his disciples and explained that there will be a last day and there will be a judgment day, but that he came first to save, not to judge. And that's how he comes to us today. He comes to us humble, gentle, unthreatening, and yet passionate 
compassionate, determined to have our hearts. And the truth is, there will be a day when he comes on a war horse. And that's described in Revelation like this. It says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on a white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations, and he'll rule them with a rod of iron. He'll tread the winepress at the fury of the wrath of the God Almighty. On his robe, on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will come on a war horse. And as terrifying as that might seem, we will be glad of that day when he comes to rid this earth of any last ounce of oppression and any last ounce of sin and hurt and pain and usher in that new world order where he alone is king. And yet as terrifying as that can sound, for those of us who have trusted Jesus, who have trusted what he's done on the cross, we can be sure that we will not have to fear a thing because he will have paid for our sin, our mess, our rubbish on the cross already. And we'll be able to welcome him as our king without fear, but with such, such joy. But you might be thinking, I don't know if I know that king. I don't know if I know him. And that sounds pretty frightening to me. Well, remember, he has come to you humble and on a donkey. He's come to you in peace. And he's here right now. Today could be the day that you come to know him for the first time. And then with every other person who knows him already, you can rejoice in that final day. We can be like that crowd, waving our arms, shouting in joy as he comes finally to wrap up this earth and, and this heaven and bring the new earth, the new heaven, the new world order where there'll be no more oppressors, no more pain, no more hurt, and where our deepest desires will be met in him. That is going to be a good, good day. But every moment he delays is a moment of love because he doesn't want a single person to perish. And if you don't know him today, then this is for you. This day is for you, for you to come, for you to, to come into knowing him. Our king comes to us humble and mounted on a donkey. He comes to us in such love and with such compassion. He sees our hearts exactly as they are, with all the deep longings, with all the current pain. And he has such love for us. 
He is able to reach to our hearts and meet our deepest needs. And he's able to answer our prayers, not always in the way we expect, but in a way that meets our deepest need in him. Just as the band come and start to pray, I wonder if, if you would stand with me. We have a God who could have come first on a war horse and swept us away, but his love for us is so great and so relentless that instead he came humble and mounted on a donkey. He came to die so that we didn't have to. And he comes here by his spirit right now. Comes to meet us. Comes to meet us at the point of our greatest need. Whether it's that you want to know him for the first time or whether you've got something else entirely in your heart, bring it to him because he knows and he is so full of compassion and can meet your needs.